The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast, continuing our off-season edition, getting closer and closer to draft season. I'm Joe Galina, and as always, I'm joined by my man, Scott Chu, who is one heck of a busy guy. Working on his hitter rankings, he's the commissioner of a fantasy curling league. And uh, as we uh, eagerly anticipate the start of the Winter Olympics, maybe he'll give us some tips. Uh, how do you find the time to get all this done, there, Scott? Well, it's going to be easy coming up because I just ripped my ACL in half, uh, so uh, not a whole lot of other stuff to do <laughs> than uh, stare at my computer screen and and watch curling, which is like, I want to say the numbers like 70% of overall, like Olympic coverage on TV is curling. Cause it's just happening the whole day. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. um, and there's always something. Uh, 70%. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, it's okay. Huge. Mm -hmm. Because like overnight, what are they, what are they running? Right. Like, yeah. what are you, what are you watching the middle of the, of the biathlon or whatever? Come on. Get out of here. Like watch, watch curling. Cause it's one of those games you can just kind of watch and you don't really like you'll pick up what they're trying to do very quickly. They're mm -hmm. trying to get the most stones closest to the center. And you may not understand the deep strategy or anything like that, but like when they have a good shot, you'll know. Cause you'll be like, how did they make that work? Cause they hit it off like three other rocks or they squeeze by something they're, So they're still intrigue all the time. So they like to play it on TV. And so curling's about to become like the hottest thing on ice. Uh, coming up and, and we will have fantasy curling in fact we just had one last weekend for the scotties yeah i saw you had uh like a 15 team league that you created i think right 15 oh oh no my no friend. it was more <laughs> 275 what these are dfs style tournaments oh we my god two, we had about 275 people play are this you last kidding week. me no oh that is awesome Fantasy curling, we're well established. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, yeah. I saw that you posted that link. Yeah, uh, no, we were on the front page of the Wall Street Journal on a Saturday. Oh, my uh, God. In 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, because this, this really, really nice writer named Ira wrote an article about obscure fantasy sports. So it was like us and there was um, – there was sumo wrestling and fishing 
in fantasy Supreme Court, in fantasy <laughs> fantasy bird watching. I've got it. I've got it framed up in my hallway. Oh, that's awesome! Did you, uh, they quote you at all, or? Oh yeah, I'm. Oh. I'm the the first two words of the article are Scott Chu. Not wow. Yeah, I yeah, didn't realize that I was uh, working with uh, someone that was quoted in the Wall Street Journal. I'm I'm so impressed. Yeah, and it wasn't even. Well, you didn't tell I, me. I'd be a little nervous, you know. I didn't even have to commit a white collar crime. It's great. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, it's uh, we got a lot of stuff to get to. So I want to move on. But uh, Canada, the favorite for the gold, usually. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Can't like curling is dominated by Canada and like Europe. So like the Swiss, the Swedes, Canadian, basically the same teams that are winning hockey. Right. And every once in a while, like in the last Winter Olympics with John Schuster and they won the gold, we have our miracle on ice. Right. Right. As U.S. and win. And then it goes back to like Canada, Sweden, Switzerland, Canada, Canada, Switzerland, Sweden. So do I oversimplify curling if I compare it to shuffleboard or bocce? It's a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're throwing a 40 pound rock on a sheet of uneven ice trying to get it to stop where you want it. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so that's simple, and yet... <laughs> yeah. That's the idea. Yeah, Sim- yeah. Beautiful in its simple complexity. Right. All right. So I'll be looking forward to watching that. And uh, hey, just to give everyone a reference point, uh, we're recording this at about 9.45, February 1st, Lunar Chinese New Year. Happy New Year to everyone who's celebrating. Scott, it's the year of the tiger. The year of Badu, maybe. The year of the tigers. <laughs> tiger. But, yeah. see, the beautiful thing is, in my mind, it's always the year of the tigers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about you. Live uh, and love and, and breathe tiger baseball. Love them. Uh, Yeah, it's great. And there's a lot of exciting things. We won't talk about them too much today until Mm -hmm. very, very late. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk about them. Yeah. Well, we we already mentioned Badu. But let's dive right into it. We're going to start doing our position previews uh, for the uh, 2022 season. Unfortunately, Scott, it's, uh, it's looking like we're getting close to the point where with no agreement, we might be at a point where we might be missing some exhibition games. I think a delay to spring training is very much a given. Uh, I, I forget who tweeted it. It might've been uh, uh, Derek Carty who does the, the bat projections. It was somebody and they made a really good point, which was, they put together the 2020 season in like like three or four beers and a cocktail napkin, right? <laughs> like they, when they decided they were going to play, they decided they were going to play mm-hmm. and it went. So that's the one thing we need to keep in mind is once they agree on this stuff, like getting us back to baseball is not some long drawn out process because all the stuff they're arguing about, generally speaking, is all, uh, it's more about how the sausage is made. It's not the product we see on the field. Like they're not changing the rules of the game. Like it's not going to be hard to come back to playing baseball. They're just going to have to redo like some HR software. Yeah. And, and pay players what they deserve to be paid when they're young. 
Yeah. Uh, still got some work to hammer out. Let's hope they get it done quickly. I do not want to see an abbreviated regular season, but we'll see what happens. But let's dive into the first base position. Uh, we have a special treat where, Scott, you've uh, provided uh, some of your initial rankings for first baseman. Yeah. So I do the hitter rankings for pitcher list. Uh, the final rankings are essentially mine with uh with some of Nick's love sprinkled in right uh <laughs> he, he makes me move players around it's fine but uh <laughs> um no so so I have I have the hitter rankings and what we're talking about them today we're going to be talking about my personal rankings although they're going to be very very similar to the final product mm-hmm. uh that, that we have because PL7's coming soon right we launch in Can't a week wait. Can't a wait. week I've only got to write like 28,000 words in a week. <laughs> but yeah, so I do I do 30 of each of busy, the busy, positions busy. per second, third, short, catcher. I do 100 outfielders. I actually rank up to like 50 of them. You just don't see all of it mm-hmm. because if injuries happen, I have to, I update them as they go throughout the season. Every time major things happen, you can, you know, you can bet that within about 24 hours I've gotten on and I've updated our our site rankings. So so that'll be good. And um yeah, so so it'll be very interesting, I think, to go through these. Uh, and I think maybe it's best if you just explain how we're going to do it, because I don't what I don't want to do is sort of what everybody does. And that's just go through my rankings one by one, where the only question Joe gets to ask me is who's next. Right? <laughs> that's boring. So I, I think I think we're going to talk about it in a bit more of an interesting context when it comes. We'll to try. We'll try. Yes. Actual mm-hmm. draft strategy. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't need me to tell you what Matt Olson is. Right. You don't. Because there's five very good projection systems available for free on Fangraphs, and you can see his projected numbers. And there's about 16 bazillion sites and podcasts doing positional breakdowns. But the one thing we don't talk about enough is, okay, so you rank so-and-so higher. Then what? What do you do with it? Do you just draft them in that order? What I really want to talk about as we're doing this is like how I rank guys the way I do. Because rankings are not projections, right? They're different. Like you don't just... Do your projections, put numbers next to them and say, I've done my rankings. I think that's the biggest mistake you can make because it's not factoring in anything about like risk, right? Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. floors. Like the, the rankings have like projections have ways of baking that in, but projections aren't showing you like, like projections will never really give you the right feel for a lot of players because they're not going to tell you like, what's the up and down side, right? Like, at the top, it's all fine. But once you start getting lower, if all you did was your projections, especially if you're in 12 team leagues, like we're talking about, you're in trouble because once you get past like 15 to 16, you're looking at volume plays and projections will say, this is the next best guy. But like, they're not value ads. Like it doesn't matter. You don't need that guy, right? Like there's nothing interesting about him. What's the likelihood that this player finishes as a top 15, right? Well, mm-hmm. he's just a volume play. No. What's the strategy? So if you really like, I mean, we'll talk about Max Muncy because that's a huge thing. What do you do if you're on the upside or the downside on Max Muncy? Right? How do you deal with that? That's what I want to talk about. All right. Well, let's uh, get started. Your, your, your first two uh, ranked uh, Vladimir Guerrero one, Freddie Freeman number two. I don't think we really need to get into too much with these two guys. Uh, we, we know what they're all about. Vlad. Came into great shape. Came into camp last week, last year, 
in great shape, added some loft. He's your tier one guy, tier two guy, and number two guy is Freddie Freeman. We just don't know exactly where uh, Freeman's going to be playing, whether he's going to return to the Braves, but I think you'd agree. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't (laughs) matter, right? You know that he's going to be putting up some big numbers, 30 home runs and – uh, you know, a, a, a close to 300 batting average and, and close to 100 RBI. Uh, but this yeah. next tier, unless you want to mention something else. All I want to say is your rankings will, every ranking will look like this. Yeah, One, yeah. Two, anyone who does it yeah. different is trying to be noisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the same way that NFBC started. Now it gets a little interesting, right? This third tier, uh, I'll, I'll just read them in, or, in your order, right? You, you've got Pete Alonso, third, Goldschmidt, Paul Goldschmidt, fourth and Jose Breu fifth. So the NFBC has uh, Matt Olson as third, Goldschmidt fourth, and Pete Alonso fifth. Yeah, and actually so so like my tier three is probably just like it actually expands a little further than that. I do have Matt Olson and Jose Breu in there. Tier three is really interesting because these players are actually kind of interchangeable in a lot of ways. They they're not the same. They do different things, but like when you add the sum of their parts, like when you start talking about risk category, you know, their, their categorical contributions, you start realizing you've got a lot of very similarly valued players. You know that. Cause if you go to an auction calculator, they'll like rank these guys in various orders, but they'll also like put the values, like the auction values that they give them are going to be like the same, right? Like they're all going to be these like 18 to $25 players, right? And especially when you look at like really like really all of them are going to kind of be between like 18 to $20 mm-hmm. and whatever projection system you're looking at might jack one guy up a little higher, right? Because they really like something about it. But they, I mean, if you look at everything, you really see that they're also being drafted very close to each other, right? Yes. Alonzo, Goldschmidt, Olsen, uh, even Abreu, they get drafted fairly close to each other. So it's... It's hard. Like, I don't want to sit here and say, this is why I like this guy more. Generally speaking, I like Pete Alonzo's power. I rank him at the top of that stack. But the draft strategy here, it almost doesn't really matter how I rank these guys in the tier. The value is probably going to be whichever one goes last. Hmm. Right? Now, in this sense, like, you know, these tiers that we're talking about, they're slightly mine. They're also John Metzelars, the guy who used to do the hitter list. Huge fan of John's work. He, I, I mean, he's always been great. And uh, what's going to start happening is like towards the back of the tier, like you'll find, like you'll feel like there's a difference between the front and the back of the tier, but like, it's not that much, especially when you start talking about like draft position, because eventually there becomes this like chasm where people just like stop drafting them for a while. And so when, when I'm looking at tier three, I care less about whether I want Alonzo or Goldschmidt more because all this is happening early enough in the draft that you're not doing a lot of positional targeting. You're doing stat targeting, right? You're either trying to find safe floors, you're trying to get steals, you're doing something like that. So all these guys go, they all offer 30 plus home runs, right? Some of them spike that more, but don't have the same batting average upside. I mean, obviously the wild card is Max Muncy. And all I want to say about Max Muncy, Max Muncy's been talked about a lot. Lots of folks doing stuff and, oh, it's too much risk. What we have are two news reports from November. One that said he doesn't need surgery and one that said it's going a little slower than usual. He has a, tor- he has a, he has a UCL injury. 
but he does not need surgery. The team is hopeful that he'll make it to the start of the season. But here's the thing. If Max Muncy plays 130 games, we're talking about a 30 home run, 80 run scored, 80 RBI player with a great OBP. Like even if he misses 35 games, well, not 35, but even if he misses like a month of action. And let's be clear, we're also extending the start of the season. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if you believe there's going to be a delay, it's even less of an impact. Every day that the season goes on, the the Muncie risk changes, right? So like the Dodgers are notorious for how little they want to tell us about anything. They're mm-hmm. the Patriots, right? Like that was why they kept saying, oh yeah, he could come back. It's not like his injury got worse. They but were supp- being the Dodgers. But supposedly, isn't it a torn UCL? I mean, yeah. if it is a torn UCL, then that kind of scares me a little bit, yeah. you know? And and I, I, I granted what you say, yeah, 35 or more home runs in his last three full seasons. And yeah, if he only misses the 20 to 30 games, and yeah, of course, if the, the season starts a little late, but torn UCL scares me. <laughs> I, I get that. But also, like, a lot of the value is already, like, baked. It's like you're already baking that in because he goes later. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's not, you don't have to pay that, you know, you don't have to pay that draft price, right? Like you can just wait. So, I mean, that's, he's going to be one where I think that like, you don't have to reach for Max Muncy. You can just see if your room value, like if they're afraid of him, you're going to get a value. Right. And if they're not, who cares? Let it go. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Because it's not like he's not a slam dunk like he would usually be. But I mean, he goes almost 100 picks later. 100 picks? Are, ah! That's so far. That makes no sense to me. Makes I, That's all I can say. It makes no sense to me. All right. Well, uh, you know, like I said, I, I guess I'm a little bit more of a conservative drafter. But I could see what you're saying that, yeah, the later he goes and drafts, the more value, potential value he might have. But, yeah. um, but, but I love this tier. Uh, love the way Goldschmidt has bounced back from a couple seasons ago. People thought that he was slowing down with that 260 batting average. Even had 12 steals last season. So, you know, I don't expect him to steal another 12 bases, maybe a, a handful, you know, maybe, you know, five, seven or so. And uh, to me, Alonso and Olsen, basically the same player, you know, they could hit anywhere from 250 to 270 and, and hit 40 home runs. I'm interested to see where Olsen lands up, lands. Uh, you know, he's on, supposedly on the trading block. I want him on the Yankees with that uh, short left field porch. Uh, you know, 40 home runs is definitely a reality, but uh, I love this tier. Yeah, me too, though. I mean, like I, I just kept talking about like, oh, the best value is probably going to be at the back of it because they're all good. Mm-hmm. Right. I, there is a genuine reason why you would rank almost any of these players at the top of this tier. Right. How many news articles would it take for you to rank Mac, Max Muncy a, a top 100 player? So 40 picks earlier than he's going now. Mm-hmm. One. It would take a single news article. Yeah, I get it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So like, and that's another thing that, I, you know, you have to sort of play with right now. That's why rankings are different than projections. Your projections don't really know, like projections don't always know how to deal with playing time. And a lot of the projections that are out right now think that he's going to miss about a hundred plate appearances, maybe less, right? Um, that still makes him a, like a 
top seven, you know, a top seven first baseman, right? Like mm-hmm. they just don't think he needs to be around that long <laughs> no. because of, of the impact he can make. And so the, that's a risk, but the rest of the risks in this tier are so minimal, right? Like no. Matt Olson, I don't know where he'll end up. He'll end up somewhere better than Oakland. <laughs> yes. It's, <laughs> right? it's not like the Oakland he's Coliseum is in, a hitter's park, right? <laughs> yeah, he's already in the worst case scenario right. and I'll draft him like as, as like he'll, I'll draft him in that third tier. Right. Mm-hmm. I, you, I can see an argument. He's currently being drafted at the top of this tier. Right. And like, he's already in the worst place he could be. So that's fun. But with a lot of these guys, what I love about it, no, like, and why they're so safe here, known commodities. These are, other than Muncie, easy players to project. Easy player where, like, you might not write it in pen, but, like, you probably could. Like, mm-hmm. those stat lines, just write those in. You know oh, what yeah. they are. You know how I feel about Abreu, right? Yeah. 30 well, home go runs, go 100 RBI. Uh, and, uh, you know, even if his hit tool came down a little bit, I mean, guys are like a lifetime 290 hitter. So if he hits 275 and, and drives in 100 and hits 30 home runs, yeah. I'm not going to complain about that. And something interesting to note. So what you're going to do, like, if you're like most people, what's going to happen? You're going to be looking up a player. What are you going to do? You're going to, like, go to Fan Track. You're going to go to – I'm sorry, not Fan Track. Fan Graphs. You're going to type their name in. And one thing you'll probably do is you'll start looking right at those projections at the bottom. The thing about this tier, the projections all look basically the same. That stops after this tier. It's been like that up through, like, the first seven first basemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe eight, but – like we're very soon we're getting to the point where projections don't know what to do anymore because there are there's too many weird things going on. Right. So, I will note that Muncie is ranked 15th in NFBC leagues. So he yeah, is kind of coming down a little his, bit. So But if you look at the if you look at project this is the perfect reason why projections and rankings are different. Because if you look at every projection system that's available they will all rank Muncie in the top six, seven mm-hmm. every time because the projection systems don't know what to do with the playing time. But, but the rankings are taking on and the ADP is of like adding risk to those numbers. So right. it's no longer and with a player like Muncie, his ADP is less about his projection and more about his health risk. Because if he plays, we know the projection and if you told us how many games he'd play, we'd make they'd all make the same projection. The problem is we don't know how many that'll be. So that's why his that's why his projection will rank him in the same tier, and why I'm so comfortable with him in the same tier because I think he'll play most of the year, and why others will rank him like ten to fifteen spots lower or more because the risk assessment makes it totally un- intolerable to them. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not like. Some will argue you have to have a certain strategy about injury. I disagree with that. I just think you can't go too far on either side, right? Like you got to stay somewhere in the middle, but sometimes I'm a little more aggressive. I'm a little more aggressive right now on Max Muncy. Yep. And, and that's okay, right? Yeah, that, that is okay. I need to take him as the seventh, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing his ADP means that I've got my rankings next to me. I'm crossing out players as they get drafted, and I know Muncy's going to sit there for a while. And I don't have to worry until I think about that line. And we did a podcast on this before. I recommend people re- like, you know, go back and listen. We talked about where that line was. The last guy I want to have in a 12-team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That's my last starter. And so 
I know that it's time to draft. I have to draft a first baseman if I haven't yet. If the only guys left are Max Muncy and the last guy I wanted the position. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I know that if I haven't taken this position naturally because they were the best player available, I need to know when I ha- say like I have to take this position, right? Because what you don't want is to find that out that round. Like, oh crap, I have to take a shortstop now. <laughs> and you, you know, you're not going to make a pick that's necessarily good. So you look forward. You're like, okay, I know that there's three first basemen I still like. I'm drafting ninth. And guess what? The people drafting 11th and 12th, they already have their first baseman, right? And their utilities. They're all right. filled up. I can probably pass this first baseman because there's no way all three of these guys go through the turn. Not just because like, oh, it'd be, un- you know, that'd be unlucky. It's because I looked at their roster and I saw they have absolutely, you know, a lot of times you can tell they have no need for either those stats or that position. And that's how I know, because I have a list of guys I'm willing to start. And if I don't have anyone highlighted yet as a guy I drafted, I'm thinking there's only three guys left that I really want to highlight. So how do I make sure I get one? That's how your draft strategy starts adapting in the middle and late rounds of the draft. And so like one thing I'll be doing every draft, I know we're still talking about tier three, but it's important. What yeah. I'll be doing every draft is making sure I have someone in the first three tiers at first base. My That's one of the few positional things I'll be doing early in drafts because I want one of those guys. I just think there's so much more safety there. I think there's, and there's so much, there's still like upside with where these draft spots are. Like it's a really nice tier I have to have one of them. I kind of don't care which one. It probably means I'm going to end up with a lot of Max Muncy because I know he'll hang around for a long time. But once I'm only seeing like Abreu and Alonzo left or Goldschmidt and, you know, Olsen left, every draft will be a little different who's left. Once there's only like two left, I'm thinking, how do I make sure I get one? And before I make my pick, if I'm one on one, if I'm on the ends, I'm thinking, do I need to take it now? Will one of these guys come back to me? What are the min picks? What are the max picks? What's the ADP? That's what I'm doing. So like, I, I because I've done these rankings now, I've now highlighted top three tiers. Mm-hmm. Okay. One thing I'll just ask you about rankings and projections and ADP, right? ADP is always going to change. Like as draft season uh, progresses as we get closer to opening day, you know, as more news is going to come out about uh, Muncy's injury, you know, whether it's more serious or, or not. Uh, but the projections, they don't get updated, right? Like it's not like the bad axes are going to come out with new projections or steamer, right? They don't, they, they don't actually, up- they will. What will change is their plate appearances. Mm-hmm. So what they will change is plate appearances. Like they've, they've sort of like rated like, the, a lot of the basic projections will be like, okay, if this player plays, uh, there's obviously there's more, it's a lot more complicated than this, but essentially what they'll do is just prorate and give players more or less plate appearances based on signings, trades, things like that. So mm-hmm. they'll update, but not a ton. Like the, it's the quality of the player, right? It really only impacts teams who are like likely or players who could be platooned. You're not really looking at that for really anyone until you start getting to like, once you start getting to like tiers four and five, you start seeing a couple guys, you're like, ah, maybe. But once you like after that, like tiers five, six, seven, 
that's when you see players that can really see projections change based on a guy getting added to the roster. Mm-hmm. Okay. But nobody's but- changing Ryan Mountcastle or Matt or Matt Olson's plate appearances. Like if Matt, no matter where Matt Olson goes, he's, yeah, you know, six hundred play Yeah, yeah, durable Plays guy. Are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So you, since you mentioned uh, Mountcastle, right? Uh, he's in the next tier, tier four. Um, Mountcastle. Then you have Josh Bell, uh, Jared Walsh, C.J. Crone, Reese Hoskins, who I like a lot, and and Joey Votto. Very interesting uh, tier. Now, uh, when it comes to Mountcastle, and then you're going to have Mancini, Trey Mancini in Tier 5, talk about how do you think that the changes to Camden Yards might affect his season. In case uh, people don't know, uh, Camden Yards, the Orioles uh, plan on raising the height of the left field wall from 7 feet to about 12 feet, and they'll also have the wall moved back by approximately 30 feet. So looking at Mountcastle, 22 of his 33 home runs were hit at home, and he is a pull ball hitter. Yeah, he is. And I think it's a really important thing to like be aware of that. But just because that's happening doesn't mean you should just start knocking numbers off the home run total, right? Because one thing about his home run total is he started the season abysmally, right? Like he had a really slow start. So what if, like, I'm not saying they will. I'm saying one thing you have to start thinking about is, like, what if that balances out? What if the wall changes, but he also starts hitting like we know he can hit in April or May instead mm-hmm. of in, like, July, <laughs> right? I'll tell you. you no, know, but the thing is, you, you look at his – he had a schizophrenic season last year. I'm, I'm looking at his, his monthly splits, right? For April, March, batted 198. July batted 206. September, October, 204. Uh, but August, he batted 357 and June, 327. Perfect uh, rolling averages kind of guy to look at, right? Yeah. Rolling chart kind of guy. <laughs> he, he really is. But so when you when you look at these like month by month, two things that like people kind of have to understand is number one, months are arbitrary measures of time for baseball, right? Because they're not a measurement of games necessarily. Players miss time. Like what was the difference between a game on – May 30th and then on June 3rd, right? Like, why would we draw a line between those two games? Not really any reason. But one thing you see, look at the home run totals, right? So, like, he has these, he has three months where he hits a total of eight home runs in April, May, and July. All together, he hits eight home runs. The other three months of the season, he hit nine home runs in June, eight in August, and eight in September. Mm. This is This is a young player. Mm-hmm. who's going to get another, you know, he's going to get another summer looking at things like to me, this is still a 30 home run hitter, right? Because yeah, he had 33 last year and the wall's changing, but like also maybe he won't have three months of pure hot garbage in his <laughs> right. stat line. And what if he, what if he's just like normal, not that good for three months that changes his whole, like, then he starts looking like a 35 to 40 home run player in the old Camden Yards, right? But I think he can be a 30 to 35 home run player in the current one. Because he is, I mean, he's he's strong. It's not like everything was a wall scraper in Camden, right? He, right. He's got power. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I've been following his career uh, since he was a minor leaguer. You know, he always hit for average, always hit a ton of home runs. So, yeah, I mean, 
I don't think all of a sudden he's going to become a singles hitter. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, you, you're not going to change his projection that much, but I think you do have to take it into consideration a little bit. But yes, I think season by season, he's just only going to get better. Absolutely. And again, you should look at his rolling charts because they are kind of interesting and you'll see what <laughs> happens for like the first third of 2021. <laughs> he's like just not doing good. <laughs> it's like all the down and then it comes right back up. There's a couple stats of his that are kind of interesting as, as the way they like progress throughout the season, uh, kind of coming up and down, but we don't have enough plate appearances in games for him to really feel comfortable about what's going on yet. Mm -hmm. What we know is that, and this was like a young player, you see spikes of like, you'll find these spikes of K rate, but you know what? His just aren't that bad. Like, yes, he'll have these like 15 game averages of 35% strikeout rate, but then he's also got them where it's like 16.9. Right. They come up and down and he stays in this nice median, which is like last season. It was like just above 25 percent. I think he has a much better hit tool than that. I think he can bring that down. Um, but th I really liked a lot of the progress we saw last season. And I like he, he was hard to stick with. I think he probably got cut in a lot of 12 team leagues. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Someone I'm sure. picked him up around midseason and got mm -hmm. a whole lot of juice out of that orange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like this is another interesting tier. I mentioned that I, I like Hoskins a lot, especially in OBP leagues. We, we've talked about him uh, last season, uh, a guy that uh, 35 home run potential. But talk about Joey Votto a little bit, man. This guy, it really looked like his career was over, you know, <laughs> and things got so bad that he was benched for three games uh, at one point. I believe it was the 2020 uh, season. And then when he just got back in the lineup, he, he – Changed his approach, became a lot more aggressive. I was reading an article, he was standing up taller in the batter's box and just started swinging at the ball and uh, saw big-time increases last season, launch angle, exit velocity, hard hit rate. His barrel rate jumped from 92 to 17.2, 98th percentile and X-slug. I mean, maybe this guy's not going to be a 300 hitter anymore like he was in his prime, but I think he he's, has the potential this season for a 30-homer, 90-RBI season. Well, just about all the projection systems would agree with you. Look at right? that. They do. But here's what I want to say about Joey Votto. You know, one of the things that we'll often say about a player is that they're Joey Votto-esque. Joe, we didn't talk about this before the show. If I say a player's Jody, Joey Votto-esque, what does that mean? A uh, power hitter who gets on base like crazy. Uh, remember this guy Walks was more than he strikes out. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Joey Votto. Yeah. Right. He's not going to do that anymore. He's probably going to strike out almost twice as like at least, you know, maybe close to twice as much as he walks now. That doesn't mean he's totally fading out. He can sustain a little bit. Like he can sustain a little bit more of this for a while longer. But what happens is as he gets older, the guy's going to be 38. This is his age 38 season. The bat speed just isn't what it was. It means he has to cheat more. It means he can't make some of those last-minute adjustments that he was so famous for, uh, for during his career, right? Like, we've seen the same thing with Miguel Cabrera. You see some of that change where they just can't make some of those same late adjustments. The bat speed's not always there, but they can still be a good hitter. Joey Votto obviously has aged much better than Miggy has, uh, although it wasn't looking that way for a while. It looked like it was going to be real bad, but he was, you know, he was a good player last year. And, and I think that ultimately you have to just kind of go with it. 
right? Like, it's really hard to discredit what he did last season because you can see enough things start to change. It's not just one thing. Like, oh, yeah, he turned his left foot in by five degrees more. Don't you see? <laughs> right? He did several things. And that's how, I mean, that's how players readjust. We see players have late season, like late career renaissances, but it's not because they did the same thing they were doing before. It's because they did things differently. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel a little more comfortable relying on what Vado's doing. Yeah. Uh, any other guys in this uh, tier that we want to talk about? How about Jared Walsh? Uh, you know, I, I like him, but uh, 196 batting average against lefties, uh, but a 306 against righties, which will balance him out. He batted 277 last season. Power is definitely there. And, and the hit tool overall is there, but that, that issue against lefties, do you think that that's going to eventually affect his playing time? It'd have to be real bad. Because they really don't have a lot of other first basemen that are able to platoon with him. Like the only one they're really keeping on their roster that I'm aware of is Matt. I have never been able to say his name. It's like Thais, but he's also left-handed, mm-hmm. right? So, and he doesn't nearly have like the the upside that Walsh has. The thing about Walsh for me and why I like him so much. Yes, he had a good season last season. That's obviously great. But look at that lineup. Look at the three other guys in the top four spots in that lineup. It goes Otani, Trout, Walsh, Rendon. I want the guy in the middle of that every time. Every single time, especially when I can draft him after pick 100. Are you kidding me? Guy, guy in the middle of that? Like if I do miss on the first three tiers, I'm ready to jump on. It's really Mountcastle, Bell, and Walsh. Like, I know I ranked them immediately after, but like those guys, I'd feel better. Like, they don't have the same upside, I think, as the tier three, mm-hmm. but those are, those are around the guys, like in a 12 team league, like a Yahoo league that doesn't do corners, doesn't do, those are the last, like, we're starting to get close to the last ones I want to really be competitive. And, um, I'll, I'll take all of them. All, all of it. And I mean, if you're an OBP, especially, it's r- a lot easier to look at a guy like Hoskins value on Vado in your specific draft might be really good because everyone will look at that age 38 number and be scared. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's another thing that can happen. You're starting to get to the point where in a Yahoo league, one of these guys is going to fall a long way, right? Towards the end of this tier, you start talking about the Riz Hoskins of the world, Joey Votto, Trey Mancini, who's kind of in the next tier. These guys, one of them is going to fall a very, very, very long way because 11 people will already have their first baseman and utilities and won't need one of these guys. So that would probably be the second place I start looking to target. If I miss the third tier, which is one I really want, like the one or two of the guys in this tier will, will suffice if they have to. Mm -hmm. How about this fifth tier? Are these more apt to be guys that you'd look at if you're playing in a league that has a corner spot? Yeah. So what happens here is this is not NFBC style rankings. I know we're using that ADP because it's just widely, it's like just widely available right now. Mm-hmm. But remember in a 15 team league, these are players that will be a lot higher on your draft board. Right. right? So let's tell, tell everyone what your fifth tier consists of. Yeah. yeah. So it's Trey Mancini. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Jake Cronenworth who can play first, second or short. Mm-hmm. You've got DJ, DJ LeMahieu in this tier for me, which is first, second and third. You've got Luke Voigt who God knows what's going to happen there. Um, and then you start kind of getting in between the tiers, but like Kirilov, Belt, uh, Belt, I'd say is still kind of in here. Guriel isn't, but 
Yeah. So you've got these guys, and, and it's players that either are not super impressive, like a Jake Cronenworth, who's more of an accumulator, who you can move yeah. all around, who's way more valuable to the NFBC because that positional flexibility makes him first, second, short, corner, and middle like you can put him in any of those spots, right? He's in, the in uh, he's like the tenth uh, first baseman coming off in NFBC leagues, yeah. and fifteenth in yours. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and that's I mean that's exactly the difference between a twelve team league and a fifteen, mm-hmm. right? But there's just like the replacement level changes, and when J- when you have Jake Cronenworth play any of these positions, it makes it a lot easier to fill your spot, especially in an NFBC where like maybe if you're doing like the main event. You've only got six reserve spots and no IL, right? So multi-position players like a Cronenworth, who's useful at all those positions and at middle and at corner, they move way up boards while, you know, in a 12-team or a 10 or a 12-team league, Jake Cronenworth is just, it doesn't, you probably don't need him. If you draft him, you don't need him at all three positions, mm-hmm. right? Because you probably have one or two guys that are better at each of the other two. Right. So he's more of a reserve player in that. It, we're really looking at that split between if you're in a 12 team league, these guys just stop mattering very much. It's actually the hardest thing about switching between like the 15 team leagues and the 10 and 12s. Right. Is that a player you really like just doesn't matter that much in a 10 or a 12 teamer because they're at or below replacement level. Like you can be the world's biggest Alex Kirilov fan. But how high do you, can you possibly take him in a twelve-team league, right? Because yeah. because like, what are the like? What's Kirilov's ceiling at this position? Just kind of looking at what is it like tenth, ninth, right? Like, how excited can you possibly be about a player who would be a back-end starter? Yeah, the one thing I think about with Kirilov, you know, first base outfield eligible. You know, last week we were trashing Miguel Sano, and and he earned it, right? But yeah, you know, what if? He takes over eventually at first base and gets, you know, 500 at bats. So then we're looking at a guy that might hit, you know, 25 home runs, maybe a 250 to 265 batting average. But I, but I see what you're saying. I mean, those are nice numbers, but the ceiling isn't as high as for guys like in that third or fourth tier, right? Like those, those numbers you just said, where mm-hmm. do those rank here, right? Where do you slot that in? Is Riz Hoskins better than that? I've got him 12th. Yeah. No, uh, Reese Hoskins, uh, if he's healthy, he's a 35 homer guy. Yeah. So unquestionably, that's exactly where the problem is in a 12, especially the Yahoo League that doesn't use middle and corner. Once you start looking at, like, yeah, his upside's, you know, 13th, then it's like, oh, so still a back end starter. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, what like could he be better than that? Sure, but like that's a low percentage outcome, especially because we just don't know how much he's going to play. Minnesota has a ton of outfielders; they're never healthy, but they got a ton of them, right? Or like a you know Brandon Belt. Here's the thing about Brandon Belt: he's not going to play the full season. He'll be great when he plays, but do you need to draft a guy who's not going to play that much? Right? Like, like how how draftable is he in a 12 team? Right. And so that's where these rankings are usually focused on. So players like them will get pushed down in a 15 team or you move a lot of them up, especially if they get a lot of playing time. You concerned about his health that he's not going to play or you Brandon think that, Bell? Yeah. I've been concerned about his health for a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's had concussion problems. His body breaks down. 
it, it just it's every year and it's really unfortunate but and he's but he's always been good when he plays but he just doesn't oh. play last season he was on his way to a 40 homer season right and then <laughs> and he got hurt typically he was one but. of the first sleepers i ever learned about mm-hmm he stayed that way for about six years. He was a sleeper for six years. Yeah, yeah, no. Because yeah, he was I, one I, of the first OBP guys. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, well, look at his walks. They're like, Moneyball had just come out. We're like, look at the walks. Now, Luke Voigt, right? Now, if the Yanks don't make a move to either trade for a guy like an Olsen or sign uh, a free agent like a, an Anthony Rizzo. Now, talk about a guy that always gets hurt. It's Voigt. But when he does play... I think if you give him 500 at-bats, again, you know, uh, but this time I, I, I wouldn't go the 25 home runs like Kirilov. I'd go 30, and I'll take that 260, 265 batting average. Yeah, so, like, it, are there, are there like, avenues to where Voight becomes a huge bargain? Absolutely, right? Like, that's one of the reasons people do these early season drafts. But... His career high for MLB games played is 118, <laughs> right? And that's actually also his just career high. That, that's more games he ever played. Mm-hmm. Well, I, he did play the full 2020 season, pretty much. It was but a 60-game like, season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was 60-game season. He played 68 games last year. He played uh, 118 games in 2019. That's when we fell in love with him. But if you didn't, if you weren't looking at his stats right now, the way we talk about Voight, what would you think that his career high home runs are? You wouldn't think it's twenty two. He did that, and he did that in the sixty game season. Mm-hmm. So, like, you see the upside, but obviously, that's the most he's ever hit because he's just not on the, he's just not playing. And like, yeah, the the strikeout rate spike is. Eh, I don't care that much. I don't care that much about the batting average. I think a lot of that was just, you know, he had some luck problems. But ultimately, I'm worried about how much he's going to play. And the Yankees have, you know, the Yankees, if you're the Yankees, how do you pencil in Luke? Like, how do you say we can go to the World Series, but we need Luke Voigt to be healthy? <laughs> that that can't be your game plan. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> hey, I'm going to cheat because uh, he played 110 plus four, 124 games in, in the last two seasons and had 33 home runs. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great if you. If he could do that in one, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, over his last, like, he's one of these guys that you just can't do the last hundred fifty games, right? Because like that spans three seasons. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. That that's the really the problem with Voight, and that's where again rankings and projections differ. Because I think there's a lot of projections that'll put him a lot higher. Right, like Steamer probably likes him a lot more, right? Because they project him for 135 games. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to project a guy for more games than he's ever played by like 20. But you know, good for them. I don't obviously I don't project him to play that much, so he just ends up getting buried in my rankings at 17th. Right, and and NFBC buries him even more. He's the 29th first baseman coming though. off the board. But the fact that you like Voight really talks about the difference. In a 12-team league, Luke Voigt can either be your corner or, like, one of your bench hitters because you like the upside, right. right? In the NFBC, you can't afford that. He has to start for you, and in a 12-teamer, he doesn't. In a 12-teamer, if you draft Luke Voigt and it doesn't work out, it's not a big deal. 
Uh, and you can reach for him because the upside's there. In a 15-teamer, plate appearances matter so much more. Especially when you're looking at like a draft champions where there are no, where there is no free agency. Luke Voigt's a hard guy to draft. Yeah, no. So that that's why you'll see deeper leagues will push him down way more. But if you're in a 12-team league, push him back up a bit because there is like no one doubts the upside when healthy, right? But the when healthy thing matters a lot more in the deeper leagues where replacement level is low compared to, you know, these 12-team leagues where replacement level is fairly high, right? Because if you don't get Luke Voigt, all right, I guess I'll settle for Alex Kirilov. Rats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a break here. We're uh, doing a breakdown of first base rankings, Scott Chu's rankings, and uh, we'll take a look at his tier six and seven players right after this. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show And we're back, Hacks and Jacks, Joe Galina, Scott Chu, dissecting the first base position, taking a look at my buddy Scott Chu's rankings. And Scott, we're up to tier six. Uh, any value here that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, so, and when we say tier six, like, I haven't really nailed down these tiers yet. Joe, you're probably thinking, like, why is there a seven there and a five there? (laughs) Like, I haven't really nailed these down yet because that's kind of where we are when you're thinking about 12-team leagues. We're in a place where it's really, like, need and almost emotional base for Mm. your ranking, right? Uh, Because in 12-teamers, we're not talking about a ton of, like, the likelihood of one of these guys being a top 10, one of them might be. By, you know, by hook or by crook, one of them might be. For example, Jonathan Scope, I believe, finished as a top 10 first baseman last year in standard formats. Uh, mostly as an accumulator, but he did have some really nice hot streaks. Hit a couple more, you know, hit a couple extra home runs. A lot of first baseman missed time. So he ain't, he's able to, like, crawl up rankings. But the rest of these guys, like, it's an outside shot. They need more than one thing to break their way, right? With, like... You know, with some of the players we've been talking about up till now, they just need one thing to break their way or they're a are-what-they-are kind of player. Like with Luke Voigt, if the health breaks his way, he jumps up these rankings. But when you start talking about this tier, which is going to be guys like Yuli Gurriel, Nate Lowe, Ty France, Anthony Rizzo, Bobby Dahlbeck, Jonathan Scope even, these are guys, couple things have to go right. Like they have to be hot and, you know, if you're Jonathan Scope, you have to be hot 
And you have to hope that Torkelson gets stays down for a while. Mm-hmm. Right? Because Scope is just not that good at second base. Or he has to hope that no one comes up and, like, you know, he has to hope that no one else shows any promise at second base so he can go back there. And he needs to find a couple hot streaks like he did before because it's not easy to hit home runs in Comerica Park. And he's been an up-down player as a career. And, of course, he has to hope that Spencer Torkelson doesn't do what Spencer Torkelson might be capable of doing and force the Tigers' hand. Oh, is that all? Right? <laughs> I mean, just, that's just those... <laughs> like Bobby Dahlbeck. Bobby Dahlbeck needs to, you know, hopefully not get platooned. And make sure he hits for power. And probably make sure that he can field a little bit. And probably make sure that he can keep that batting average above 230 or they'll just move on. And he'll have to hire a couple of thugs to uh, break Tristan uh, Cassis's knees like uh, a la Nancy Kerrigan. Again, yeah. He also (laughs) needs Tristan Cassis not to come up and show him up and kick him out of town. Right. And he has to hope that the Red Sox don't find their way into signing another first baseman. Because, again, he's an easy to platoon bat. Right. It would not be hard to convince someone to be like, hey, why don't you sign one of the 16 bazillion right handed first basemen who can come in and hit for Bobby Dahlbeck against lefties? There are literally a, a billion. Right. Like the path of Bobby Dahlbeck's career into Mitch Moreland is not very far. Right. Like, is there upside for more? Sure. He could be one of these, like, probably not for long term, but he could be one of these, like, rocket ships. Like, a, if you remember, like, Chris Carter had this little time where he always hit a bunch of home runs and hit, sure. like, 211. But then, like, you know, the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. When you swing that hard and you start losing bat speed, it all falls apart. So, you know, it's interesting. Anthony Rizzo needs to fight off the aging curve plus find a team. Mm. Um, Plenty of teams in porn, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, Nate Lowe has just not been consistent enough in terms of strikeout rates. He's just, he gets hot, he falls off. He's been very archetypal this way. And teams just don't have a lot of patience for that. Teams don't care if you could hit 30 home runs. Because if they did, Daniel Vogelbach would keep starting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right? Daniel Vogelbach could hit 30 home runs every year. You give him 600 plate appearances. But don't do that. (laughs) It's a bad idea. Because he hits like 180. Right. So that's where a lot of these players are. But again, we're talking about, you know, Yuli Gurriel in a 12 team league is really situationally valuable. The power's not coming back. That power you saw, that weird 2019 season, that's not a thing anymore. He's back to being normal Yuli Gurriel, which is an accumulator. But now that, you know, the Astros have bled a little talent, it might not be quite as easy to accumulate quite as many. He's got more and more competition for at bats as more and more young guys in their system come up. And he's, you know, he's also not a young man, right? He's 38 as well. Mm-hmm. See how that goes. Well, let me ask France. you about him. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Ty France. Why do you like Guriel? And I know that these are rankings in progress. So I won't hold you to it. But why do you like uh, Guriel over a Ty France? Now, you have France as your 22nd first baseman. Um, just to, as a reference, we'll, uh, NFBC has him as the 13th. He's going to start the season as the Mariners starting first baseman. Um, I mean, he's had a lot of power in the minor leagues, but maybe a lot of that was PCL infused, uh, probably, you know, like a 280 low 20 home run kind of guy. What makes you like Guriel better than him? 
So you're actually going to find these guys ranked really, really close to each other mm-hmm. in a lot of places. Uh, they are these high batting average, really, really hope he hits 20 home runs, but probably won't bats. Um, so just like on one hand, Ty France is not 38. So in theory, there's more upside here. He's 27. Uh, the Mariners are kind of an up and coming team. That's exciting. He should be able to play every day. He should have good spots in the lineup every day. And he's actually got 264 games at the major league level. Ty France has been better than a lot of people realize. He has a 121 WRC plus in his first like thousand and six plate appearances. This mm-hmm. is a good player. But for fantasy, he's just not that exciting. Because at the end of the day, that still only looks like 20 home runs and somewhere between 70 and 80 runs or RBI. And like, it's a good average, but you know, if he doesn't hit 300, right? And he did a lot of things last year with his plate appearance or with his plate discipline I really liked. He cut the strikeout rate. He's maturing as a hitter. Yeah, but good contact he, hitter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good contact hitter. But like, that's also going to be a bit luck driven. And so if he ends up hitting more like 270 than 290, which is very realistic um, because bad luck happens and it'll probably push his batting average down 15 points or so, that like that's a problem because he just doesn't do enough of anything else. In a 12-team league, there's just no, there's no reason to believe there's upside. I don't see how Ty France ever gets to 100 RBI. I can see sort of how Yuli might, or at least 90. Right, I'm not even sure how Ty France ever gets to 90. I do think, I mean, it, what's weird? Yuli Gurriel had a really good season last year, right? You wouldn't think that much of it, but that 319 batting average makes a big difference. Sure, and he does it over 605 plate appearances because he plays most every day and he puts everything in play. So he actually finishes pretty high, uh, in like a lot higher than you probably would have thought last season in ranks. And we know that there is power potential in there. He still slugged 462, right? He didn't, I mean, he, he's he got some power. 134 WRC plus was actually higher than his 2019 season, believe it or not, hmm. because he hit 319. And he got, his OBP was 383, right? So I, I really like that about him because it's a very known commodity. And at this point, I, I'm not going to say like, I'll always draft this guy over that guy. But these two players, like if Ty France had any kind of ceiling, I'd totally be over it. But his ceiling's not better than Yuli Gurriel's. And Yuli Gurriel weirdly has a ceiling that's higher, despite the fact that he's 38 years old. Because we've actually seen him do that, where he hit 30 home runs. He was the best, like pretty much the best hitter in baseball for like three months. Ty France has never done that. Yeah. uh, Okay. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, why don't we finish this off with, let's see. Bottom. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, there's some value here, though, I'll tell you. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. Don't draft him, but these might be guys uh, yeah, in a 12, yeah. Uh, in a 15, you, you you might be drafting them. There is, even in a 12, I see a couple of guys that I think that down the road I, I may add as a waiver wire ad. So let's just. Tell uh, the listeners who we're talking about. 27th, we have Frank Schwindel. 28th, we have Miguel Sano. We already spoke about him at length last week. Uh, Jesus Aguiar, 29th. And 30th is Rowdy Telez. So, you know, I was looking at Frank Schwindel's numbers, and, you know, this guy could hit, you know? Um, could hit for average, could hit for power. It took him a while to make it to the major leagues. 
only 270 big late big league uh, plate appearances, but batting 311. Um, I, I, I kind of like this guy. Steamer ranks him 13th, uh, which is wild, mm-hmm. right? Right ahead of Max Muncy. Um, the biggest thing is just if the Cubs sign a first baseman. Honestly, the Cubs have to decide if they want Frank Schwindel to be their first baseman after that, I don't know, two-month audition, um, where, you know, he was great, but it was still, at the end of the day, it was, you know, 14 home runs, 326 batting average, which was really, really good. The X stats are really scary. So, like, you rarely see a Woba to X Woba split of 70 points. Hmm. But that's what we have here. That's a ton. Like a 329 X Woba is like above that, like slightly above average. Whereas obviously a 403 Woba is elite over 64 games, right? That's wild. So his projections obviously vary quite a bit. You've got Steamer, who loves him the most, and they've got 26 home runs and a 268 batting average. Then you look at the bad X, which is stat cast driven. Uh, and you see it's 19 home runs with a 248 batting average. That's a huge projection split for yeah. the bad you X. You usually don't see that big of a difference in these projection systems. And the bad X has him for four more games. It's not like a playing time split. It's an actual talent level split. Frank Schwindel's a really cool guy. He's going to be on every watch list and I'll never draft him because this kind of split, I just don't need it in a 12. In a 15, I love it, right? But like you're sort of seeing the up and the downside here. And the thing for him is his up and downsides are so wide apart that it's somewhere between absolutely irrelevant and back end starting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like not even a watch list guy. If he actually is only like, he's like, he could be Ty France with 70 points less batting average. You want, you want any part of that? Absolutely not. So there's a lot of risk there, but. You're right. He was really good. If you look at his full body of work for 2021, he was amazing. Right? He was just really, really good. And you know, his minor league numbers four, were pretty good too. Like four teams. Yeah, yeah. But this guy's hit, you know, pretty much everywhere he's gone. I and I know, and I was trying to find out why he was kind of buried in the minor leagues for so long. Uh, maybe it's his defense or, or because like, like I said, I think he had like a 280 something, uh, lifetime uh, career batting average in the minor leagues. And, uh, he is a, an older, younger player, if that makes any sense, 29 years old coming into the 2022 season. But, uh, Jesus Aguiar, uh, first baseman for the Marlins, uh, you know, I forget a lot of people forget this guy hit 35 home runs for the Brewers a, a few years back. Good power. I was impressed when with his 18% K rate over the past two seasons. I mean, you're not going to target him in a draft in a 12 teamer, but uh, down the line, you know, in a 15 teamer, you, you probably would draft him at some point, but more of a waiver wire ad. But uh, with the uh, universal DH coming, I mean, he's their first, he's the Marlins first baseman, but uh, with the universal DH, even if the Marlins decide to, you know, call up somebody from the minor leagues, this guy's going to have his at bats and he's going to hit his home runs. Yeah, I mean, another great example of a play. So he's an interesting player because well, let's talk about rolling charts again. Mm-hmm. That's why he's a waiver wire guy. On those upswings, you add him. 
And when he comes back down, you cut him. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the guy he is. So that's where his relevance is, is that he'll have a waiver. He'll be on, he'll, maybe he'll be on the waiver wire. And he'll have a real nice, like, you know, string of weak lefties coming up. Right? So you know he's going to be in the lineup. You know he's going to get a chance to mash. So you, you might pick him up because you've got like a, you know, you've got a COVID DL pinch. Right. Right. He'll be relevant in fantasy, but not like for drafts or all season. He'll be relevant because like we're going to have probably, let's guess if we do a podcast every week, you and I will talk about Jesus Aguilar 10 times ish, right? Actually, probably more like five to six times. And uh, we'll always say the same thing. (laughs) Well, he hits fourth. He's a righty. And he's up against some bad lefties. So, yeah, you can add him. That's the conversation every time. We'll talk about him and Avi Garcia like that every single time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a D, it's going to be your, it's going to be the sneaky, quiet DFS stack every time the Marlins play a bad lefty. Every time. So, like, there's value there, but not draft value. It's right. in season value. And another guy also. Uh- Similar in 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 retrospect to to what you're saying, a uh, Rowdy Telez, who uh, for the Brewers he got traded to the Brewers, uh, had a, a nice end to his season, uh, batted two seventy two with seven home runs in his last fifty six games for him. Obviously, there was no room for him on the Blue Jays with Vlad coming up. Right, they they don't need uh, Telez to play first base when they got Vlad, but uh, he, to me, he's a, another guy. Uh, Good power in a good uh, hitter's park uh, that could end up being a during a hot streak, a nice waiver wire pickup uh, during the season. Yeah. So, you know, the Brewers have a lot of guys who could DH, weirdly enough. I really wish they didn't have so many because if I knew he was going to play all the time, I'd move him up. Uh, just because, I mean, one of the biggest problems for him is most parallel universes to ours still only have Rowdy Tellez playing about 120 games, mm-hmm. right? And that's just not going to play in a 12. He's another guy, just like Jesus Aguilar. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be, oh, hey, look, the Brewers face some real bad righties for the first half of the week. Rowdy Tellez is available on 80% of waiver wires in Yahoo. You know, give it a run if you need a first baseman or a utility. Mm-hmm. We're going to have like, We're going to have this conversation again. Write it down. This we're going to talk about this, and I really hope someone tells me the day that it happens. Because on February first, twenty twenty two, I said we're going to talk about Roddy Telez because he faces some bad lefties during the week, and he's available on a whole bunch of waiver wires because he's a platoon bat. It's going to happen. I hope somebody rem- like when when it happens, I want someone to just message me like a meme or a gif because I just want to remember that we're going to do it. We're probably going to do it three or four times. Because that's just what he is. And that's like, you know, he's a watch list guy because what if that, what if he starts playing every day? He can, he can hit for, you know, he can hit for a lot of things. And he, he's shown upside. He's shown these huge, like, hot streaks where he hits for average. He's got a reverse split. He's doing all this weird stuff. But it's unpredictable. Then he goes through these really rough patches. And then he's also super easy to platoon. Brewers have plenty of righties in their system to platoon him with. So there's just like a lot of danger in the profile because of the team he's on. Mm-hmm. 
any other guys that were close to making the top 30 before we head out or that maybe, you know, something could happen. Maybe they could make a, a, an adjustment and, and then they'll move into the top 30 or maybe uh, someone that maybe the uh, player ahead of them gets hurt and then, you know, they have an opportunity to really, you know, uh, become someone that would make your crack your top 30 list or I mean I know that this uh, ranking is your preliminary and that you're still working on it but anybody that you kind of like were hedging on and thinking about adding and moving around Spencer Torkelson could move up almost 15 spots from 26 if I find out he's going to get 550 plate appearances I think he could hit 30 home runs and hit for a real high average Torkelson's nice. an absolute monster Mm-hmm. As of right now, my guess would be that he'd break camp as the first baseman. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I think he might do it as third now that I think about it. Um, th- there's there's a place for him right now. Now, I'm not sure how that's going to work. There's other sneaky guys that I'd love to see the Tigers give like another look at before they put Spencer Torkelson in it like first. And then Jonathan Scope at second. Because it's just not a very, I mean, at least they have Baez playing short, so it'll be okay. But Scope is not good defensively. But, you know, if like an Isak Paredes, you know, pushes it, then it makes it less fun. But Torque, if he plays, he'd hit, I'm not entirely sure where they'd hit him. But he's, he'd probably end up getting first and third base eligibility throughout the season. And I'm not crazy, both Zips and uh yeah, Zips and Steamer project that he could hit almost 30 home runs in 130 games. Wow. Yeah, like he's he's real, real good, folks. Plate <laughs> discipline's fantastic. He's got, you know, he's got like the, the huge hit tool. Torque can do it all. Uh, he, I just think he's an absolute, you know, he's got a ton of upside in the bat. So like really a guy that could jump way, way up if there's any ink like he's going to fly up draft boards in the off season. If there's any inkling, like if he has like some heat during spring training, hitting some home runs or someone's kind of hurt, you know, like Jonathan scope twists an ankle one day mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. down the dugout stairs. All of a sudden Torkelson is top. You know, we're talking about him. There's no reason he couldn't be CJ crone or Trey Mancini or Luke Voigt. Right. Mm. No, there's no reason he couldn't be Jared Walsh. Mm-hmm. To be quite frank, there's no reason he couldn't be up there. So he could jump as high as like tier four. Mm, awesome um, stuff. Spots we so so that's the one. It's not just because he's a tiger. It's because he's a tiger and he's no like, one would ever call you a homer, no, Mister Badu. Me? <laughs> I, I, there's nothing but even keeled. Uh, you know, like I, I doubt any of these people even know what team I watch. Like, let's be real. No, no one knows it. Like, oh, I don't know. What is, what is he like a, like a guardians fan? I don't know. They don't know. They don't I think know. they it's stopped mystery. listening after I, we were talking about fantasy curling. So yeah. <laughs> but, I'm an enigma. Yeah. Nobody All knows. Right. So great stuff, Scott covered a lot of ground in this episode. It slams the lid on things for today. And, uh, what do you say? We come back next week, Scott and talk uh second baseman. Yeah, that sounds way more fun than catcher. I wasn't sure what direction you'd go. <laughs> second base, second baseman. Uh, yeah, well, actually, yeah. the official rankings will be out that by then. I think. Okay. Good. Okay. Uh, so they'll all be out, but yeah, absolutely, it's, it's going to be fun. I, I like talking about them this way. 
there you versus go. like why other people, you know, once you get towards the end, it doesn't really matter what their ADP is. So mm-hmm. Stop talking about it, which is, I think, very realistic for your draft. I think in your drafts after round 20, who cares about ADP? Yeah. Just get the guys you want positionally yeah. and, and, you know, whatever. So that's how we'll keep talking about them. And I think that, you know, again, do your drafts. Don't worry too much about a shortened season yet, but have some fun and, and start doing your own rankings. It's a yeah. lot harder than you think. Yeah, absolutely. So, and if there's any player that we didn't talk about today that you want us to, uh, just reach out to us, follow us at Hacks and Jacks PL. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. And like I said, if there's anything uh, that you want us to cover or any player that you want us to talk about, let us know. Follow me at Joe Galina. Follow Scott at If The Chew Fits. Uh, subscribe to Hacks and Jacks. Uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a nice review wherever you can. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Uh, We're going to come back next Wednesday. This is the new season. We'll be uh, debuting new shows every Wednesday. So we'll see you next time.